The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Tony Quantro, heir to the Quantro liquor fortune and an internationally known singer. In the midst of a successful singing career, Tony felt called to do something completely different, something he felt would be more meaningful. This led him to spend 12 years volunteering in Mother Teresa's hospices in New York City and Calcutta. In his new book, A Gift of Love, named for Mother Teresa's Greenwich Village home for destitute men dying of AIDS, Tony shares his insights into caregiving and practical things you can do when called to care for loved ones at the end of their lives. You can read an excerpt of A Gift of Love on our website, spiritualityhealth.com. Tony Quantro, welcome to Essential Conversations. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be talking to you. This is a great uh, thrill for me. It's a subject that I could go on and on and on about because I happen to have known Mother Teresa not only as a woman I considered a living saint, but as a mother. I want to ask you about that. But first, could you give us a sense of what called you away from the successful singing career to do something so radically different? Well, I can answer that. Uh, (laughs) I... I remember when she won the Nobel Peace Prize, which was years before, a few years before I started working for her, but uh, volunteering in her in her homes. Uh, but I saw a picture in a magazine of a volunteer in Calcutta holding. <laughs> oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> holding a dying man in his arms. And I thought, I have to do that. Mm. And when I was back in New York, she had opened uh, the home for the AIDS patients. 
And it was new then, and no one knew how it was transmitted, and the prisons didn't want them, the hospitals didn't want them, but we did. And I called them up one day, and I said, would you like a volunteer? Not knowing that mother would be there. It was a calling. I had to do it. I had to do it. And then the miracle was that when I met mother, not expecting to, because she was in New York, and our eyes locked, and we met, and we became as one, as though we had, as though we had spent many lives together. That's the only way I can put it. There was nothing new. We knew each other, and uh -huh. she was my mother. So just a moment ago, you called her a living saint, and last Sunday, Pope Francis canonized her as an actual saint. And I just want to read a little bit of what he said. I mean, he said it in Latin. I want to read it to you in English translation. But read a little bit about what he said and get your response to it. So the Pope said, After due deliberation and frequent prayer for divine assistance, and having sought the counsel of many of our brother bishops, we declare and define Blessed Teresa of Calcutta to be a saint, and we enroll her among the saints decreeing that she is to be venerated as such by the whole church. What does this mean to you, someone who knew her so well? Uh, I love, as Mother said, I love, she loved all religions, but she was in love with her own. I love all religions, and I, 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 I believe there's something good in, in every single one. And uh, she was an ordinary, extraordinary human being. And I, I treated her as a, a, a saint. She was always a saint to me. She was, she was an ordinary, extraordinary woman. And she, you know, it's very hard. You know, if you're a movie star, you're at a certain level where people treat you a certain way, which is quite different. And, but if you are considered a living saint, then you are put in a realm all by yourself. And that was very difficult for her because she was such a normal human being, an extraordinary, ordinary human being. So you don't find that her official sainthood within the church changes your approach to her? Not at all. I, 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 I loved her unconditionally, and she taught me about unconditional love. She taught me so many, many things and how to care for, for everybody. I want to go there because that's really what your book is all about. But we'd be remiss if we didn't get your take on some of the criticism Mother Teresa received during the mid-90s. I mean, you were right there in the thick of it at that time. So, for example, 1994, the British medical journal Lancet came out with an article that was highly critical of the quality of the facilities that she was running and the quality of the care that people were getting. And around the same time, there was a Canadian journal that had trouble with 
the lack of medicine they found in her facilities. The sense I got from the articles I read was that she seemed to be caring for people suffering, but not alleviating that suffering. She almost has this sense that suffering will lead them to Christ. But you were there. So what's your sense of these criticisms? I can only use one word for all of that. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous what they were saying. And Christopher Hitchens made a whole career out of taking apart icons like Mother Teresa, Princess Diana, anybody he could. He made a career and a lot of money on it. And people are still still trying to do that. You know, we, I, I arrived in, in, in Calcutta and I went to the orphanage and there was a little girl with her hand in front of her face and the nun told me, oh, yes, we have a doctor coming from, I don't know, some other country to fix her hair lip. You know, they had doctors from all over the world come and take care of these people. And I, I can tell you, they got the best care in the world and filled with all the things that I enumerate in my book, which were so important to the dying, because with, with AIDS, we knew they had only months to live. And it was listening, touching, choices, humor, taking nothing for granted, non-judgment, respect, even music, unconditional love, the most powerful force in the world, and faith. And, but they had the best of care, the best medical care possible. And that really is important. I wasn't there, and I just wanted to give the audience another take on these articles. Did you ever have conversations with her about her Catholic faith? I mean, did she wrestle with issues around contraception, birth control, condoms? I mean, she's dealing with the problems of poverty. Birth control is the solution. She's dealing with the problem of AIDS. And one way we should be dealing with that is through promoting the use of condoms, both birth control in any kind and population control, condoms, all that stuff she was opposed to because she was a fundamentalist Catholic. And I'm, I'm wondering, and these articles seem to suggest that she didn't really deal with the causes of the problems, but focused instead on helping people deal with the symptoms. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. She said, bring me your child and I will care for him. And when you're ready to care for that child, you can have him back. And she always put her money where her mouth was. Always. Everyone was cared for, everyone who needed care. And, I mean, I, it, it, was, uh, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. And every home was so clean. We had to clean every inch of that, those homes every single day. One of my favorite jobs at Gift of Love was I used to clean... Uh, three flights of stairs every day on my hands and knees. And it was a wonderful thing because it was a time when, I don't know, I guess the men just kind of saw that I was really serious. And they would spend hours as I was cleaning these stairs talking to me while I listened. Listening is very important. I want to ask you one last thing about you personally, before we move on to your book. So you spent hours and hours cleaning stairs and doing other tasks, but you're a famous singer. I mean, you're part of the 1%. How did these acts of service and humility change you spiritually? You know what was wonderful about it spiritually was that the men grew to trust me when they saw me doing the humblest of tasks. And they would stand there and talk to me about their problems, their illnesses, any, anything that they had to open their hearts about. And that gave them the freedom to do that. That's why it took me so long to clean three flights of stairs. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's what I, I loved about it. And spiritually, well, I got so much more from them, giving them this unconditional love of cleaning the stairs and listening to them was priceless. It was the greatest force in the world. So let's talk about your book. I mean, the book explores a number of qualities you learned from Mother Teresa that you feel can be of help to those of us who are caring for a dying person. Could you share two or three things from the book that can really help us engage in end-of-life care more effectively? Well, I would say being able to listen. Okay. Listen to them. Um, you know, listening. Touching. You know, people were afraid to touch a, a, a leper or a, or a man with AIDS or something. But just a touch uh, on the forehead or, or somewhere makes the world of difference. Giving them choices in, in the end of their lives as to even what they want to have for dinner 
anything as long as they still felt a part of life. And humor doesn't hurt because no one wants a gloomy puss around them, even mm. when you're dying, you know? I'm curious about touch, this quality of touch. Is touch important because the dying feel alienated? Can you tell us a little bit more about that feeling? Well, my, my, my aunt was, um, had had her leg taken off and she was, she was in horrible pain and, and suffering. And I was very young then, I was in my 20s. And my mother did something very uncharacteristic of my mo for my mother. And she went to her sister and she started to caress her forehead. And the next day, when I went to the hospital to visit her, she said, you know, the most healing moment that I felt yesterday was when your mother was caressing my forehead. I never forgot that lesson. Mm. So that's, you know, the magic of, of touch. I never forgot it. And, um, you know, of course, unconditional love is so, so important. And, you know, when the men were, were, were dying, I would, I would use my singing. I, I did it, just started by accident, just thought of it one day, it came to me. And Wilfredo had just come from the hospital and he was, had maybe two weeks to live. He was a young man, he was 26, and as I was caring for him, doing anything I could to make him more comfortable, I started singing very softly, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, and I sang it over and over and over, very softly. And within 15 minutes, I saw the fear leave his face, the pain leave the rigidity in his body, I saw a complete transformation in Wilfredo. And I used that again hundreds of times afterwards on other patients. So let me ask you, on, sort of on behalf of the listener in a sense, I mean, as a, you know, as a rabbi, I've done I've been in a lot of deathbeds and, and I absolutely believe in the power of music, whether it's sung by the person who's there. Sometimes I would do chanting with, you know, yeah. next to the person. What if you're the caregiver and you just feel this is not something you do? You don't even sing in the shower. Because music is important. And I think you make that point very clear. But if you can't do it, I mean, you're a singer. But if you can't yeah. do it, if the person can't do it, what do you suggest they do? Do you Put on a CD of some peaceful, calming music or something that you think would be important to, that would matter to them. It can be any kind of music. You know how mothers sing to their children and how healing that is for the children. I mean, my mother couldn't sing a note. Her mother, her, her mother was, a, was, a, uh, was an opera singer, but my mother couldn't sing a note. But I never forgot the silly little songs that she sang to me when I was a child and I was going to go to bed. And what and, a difference it made. Yeah, oh, that's, that's beautiful. It's a perfect place to end. And we are out of time. My guest today was Tony Quantro, 
author of A Gift of Love. You can read an excerpt of the book on our website, spiritualityhealth.com. You can learn more about Tony's work on his website, tonycontro.com. And Tony, just thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure was all ours. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit innerengineering.com to learn more. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.